Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the east end of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Tooby, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. Hey, everybody. Everyone good? Happy Thursday. I'm sitting outside because it's really, really nice out, but I have a, a visitor, which is a little yellow fuzzy caterpillar with kind of spiky looking things on it. And I, Brent, I sent a picture to Brendan. He told me what it was. What is it called, Brendan? It was a kind of tussock moth, right? Yeah. Do I need to be afraid? Oh, here we go. It's a banded tussock moth. Okay. You know, it's a caterpillar, obviously. But if you let it crawl on you or if you touch its fur, you might get a rash. So it's never really good to let caterpillars crawl on you, but especially if they're fuzzy, that's a good sign that they cause irritation. And especially don't let them crawl on you in 2020 because, you know, anything could happen. I'm thinking this is one of those years. So I bet it's a delicacy in some parts of the world, though. Only if you cook it properly. I don't know. It hasn't moved a lot, but I look away and then I look back and it's inched a little bit closer. It's one of those, like it moves when you're not looking at it, which is kind of like a horror film. The Creeping Terror. Watch your back. Offer it a maple leaf. I don't have any maple trees. I'm not sure what it's after. Oh, well, maybe oaks. So, well, hi, everybody. It's, uh, it's a beautiful Thursday. I mean, here it is in uh, October almost. October 1st. Today's October 1st. It's really nice out though. Beautiful. Beautiful weather. I love October. October may be my favorite month. Why is that? Uh, the, just because of exactly this. This is just perfect weather. I, I feel like October brings that perfect combination of, of nice, warm, but not too warm, and just heading into fall, and you're starting the, the big stretch of holidays, which is always great. And, and then you get like those really wild, windy nights, like, you know, right in the middle of it all. It's kind of fun. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's weird too because it's a little bit of a melancholy type of time of the year, but I kind of like that. I always I always found this time of year uh uh pleasant. Nice. Well, let's go ahead and do our introductions, shall we? Um so we have with us today Bill Sutton. Hi Bill. Hi Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And Brendan O'Reilly. Hey Brendan. Hi, I'm Brendan. I'm the features editor. And Joe Shaw. Hi Joe. I'm good. I'm Joe Shaw, executive editor of the Express News Group. And my name's Annette Hinkle, and I am the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And um, speaking of changeable, wild and windy weather, we thought today it would be interesting to talk about a local landmark that was recently affected by wild and windy weather, and that is Linda Scott's sculpture, Stargazer. And anyone who comes out here with any regularity knows that Stargazer, which is um, on Route 111, as you're approaching the uh, Sunrise Highway off of Long Island Expressway is a big red sculpture that sits in a field. And it's kind of your sign that you're almost to the East End. And, and it, for generations since the early 90s, it sat there and it sort of signals you're almost there. So recently it was terribly damaged by a storm that went through the area. And it's not, um, it's not the first time that it's happened. And so today we're going to talk about a little bit about the history of the sculpture and also the efforts to maybe see if we can figure out how to preserve it in a way that it won't fall apart as frequently as it has. So 
Brendan, I thought you'd be a good one to get us started because I know you've written quite a bit about about Stargazer in the past. Right. Well, the the biggest story I've ever written about Stargazer happened in 2016, not that long ago, but it was another time when the future of Stargazer was really uncertain and when it uh, it needed some help and needed some investment to keep it standing. Our most recent incident was Tropical Storm, uh, I'll try to pronounce this, Tropical Storm Isaias. I think that's right. Yeah. Very good. Nailed it. Nailed it. So that uh, stripped away some of the plywood very visibly, uh, and that was kind of like overnight damage. Uh, there's other times where there's been windstorms that have come through and caused damage, or there's been deterioration over time. Uh, going back to the early 2000s, there was an incident of vandalism. At least with vandalism, normally what all you have to do is slap some new paint on it. Uh, when it gets torn apart, now you have to put the plywood back up and then you have to re-stucco it. Because what people don't often realize is that this is a wood-faced sculpture and then that wood is covered with a stucco material and then that stucco is painted. From very far away, you might think that it was made out of something durable, but it's actually pretty frail. This wasn't a sculpture that was designed to stay up for 50 years. This was a sculpture that had a life expectancy of 10 years and it needs constant maintenance. And what we're looking at now is a request for $100,000 to fix it up in a way that would be better than it was before. It would include some metal flashing. It would include uh, a drainage. So the water that gets inside doesn't just sit there and cause it to rot out rapidly. So there's a lot of work to be done and some people are stepping up to say that they're perfectly willing to donate to an effort to do that because it has become a beloved local icon. Is it beloved? I'm not trying to, I'm, I'm asking, is it beloved? I think people have a, a strong connection to it. And it's because, as you said in the introduction, I think it's just such a landmark for folks coming east. It really is sort of the almost here kind of situation. It's the beginning of uh, arriving on the South Fork. For people living on the South Fork, it's an I'm home moment, I think, that, that can be even more visceral as you're, you know, if you're, you're coming back from a long trip and you're fighting the, the gridlock and the traffic on the LIE and you finally turn off the LIE and you're, you're going down 111 and you see the stargazer and you, and you let out that breath and, you know, it's, oh, I'm home finally. For me, that's what it always was when I would, had family and friends, you know, in, in uh, Western New York. And I would, when I would come home, that was it. It was like, okay, home, finally. It's the big duck of 111. <laughs> I was going to say, there's, there's actually a very, very good parallel there, I think. And, and it's, a, it's a fair question to ask, is it beloved? Because if it is beloved, then we should do what we have to do to fix it, because it really does add to the culture of the region. I, I can remember my first trip out here for my job interview, actually, making the drive out and getting on 111 and coming down and saying, why do they have a giant rooster in the uh, field over here? Because that was my first impression of it. And I think that's, that was the other thing with us having the conversation about. What I love is it's sort of a Rorschach blot. Uh, I think different people see different things. After that first glimpse, I really genuinely, and I don't think I'm, I'm alone in that my first glimpse of it, I thought there was a rooster. I thought that's what it was. It took me I, it, months and months before somebody finally told me that, that it was a deer, that of me thinking it was 
some kind of rooster or chicken or 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 fowl. I, it was a red color. I think that that threw me off. I think you're right. Yeah. Once somebody explained it, then I couldn't unsee it, and and of course, then it became you know what it is. However, I have a whole narrative for what I think it is, which I'm now being told is wrong because my thought always was stargazer that it was a deer, an antlered deer reaching up and eating from a branch and catching a glimpse of the stars. That's what I always interpreted that to mean. But now, Brendan, I'm hearing that, that that's not, a, not allegedly a branch in its mouth. So this is the point of controversy. Is it a chicken? Is it a deer? If it is a deer, what's the deer doing? Well, obviously it's a deer head. Um, so when I had interviewed the partner of the artist, the artist's name is Linda Scott, and her partner was David Morris. Uh, Miss Scott passed away of cancer. David Morris has been trying since then to keep Stargazer standing in Linda Scott's memory. So according to David Morris, Stargazer is a deer that has an antler in its mouth, and it has sort of raised the antler up in its mouth. Whose antler? Another deer's antler? Some antler that it found. Is that cannibalism? That seems a little bit creepy, but I don't think <laughs> We did have the whole discussion about whether there was a deer bloodbath. I think that was an email chain we had. <laughs> I had no idea deer fought to the death. As you should know, is that deer shed their antlers. So it could just be that the deer found an antler. Uh, but, you know, hearing that, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to people. And... I took this to be the case because this is what was told to me by the artist partner. Then people came up after me after I've written articles about it and said, no, the article's wrong. The artist told me that the deer is bending a branch of a tree that it is eating. That's pretty realistic based on what happens in my yard. Yeah. And I feel like that makes more sense and it does sort of, that looks like a branch, but then it then you go to the question of stargazer and what that has to do with the image that that, that projects. And I, there was a the article we had this week had a very uh, a spiritual kind of interpretation that Mr. Morris offered. Which, by the way, this this gets into the whole question of uh, a work of art and does it matter what the artist intended or is what you know, do we all have different ways of, of seeing it? And are they all legitimate and equally uh, acceptable interpretation? Well, it's also the third stargazer, which people don't know. Linda Scott originally designed a Mayan-inspired female stargazer head. It was just a woman's head. Somebody had noticed it when she was displaying it at an art fair near the Southampton train station, and she was invited to display it on a Butter Lane field in Bridgehampton, and that was accompanied by a male head. And they had been there for some time until they were removed. Uh, I don't believe either of them are in existence anymore because, as I said, these weren't built to last. But then the Deerhead Stargazer was originally intended to be at the entrance of the Animal Rescue Fund of the Hamptons in Wainscott. But that is right next to the East Hampton Airport. So you couldn't raise the Deerhead tall enough to let trucks pass under while also allowing planes to pass over. So it was supposed to be like an arch. It was supposed to actually go over the entrance road then. Yeah. Two arms, right? That was the idea. That's kind of interesting that you would drive actually through the, if you look at the sculpture, there's a, 
there's a spot that would sort of serve as like a little arch. I, I always thought that was when I found that out, I think from your article a couple of years ago, Brendan, uh, it made a lot of sense to me. Um, not, you know, have, looking at the, the sculpture now and seeing it that. It seems to me but, if, that uh, have, if it was too low for trucks to drive under, they would have just said, all right, let's move it 10 feet off the road. Then you would still have the plane problem. It was still too high for the planes? Not necessarily that they would hit it, but it would be tall enough of a structure that it's going to be a distraction for planes coming into land. They would have to put a flashing light on top of it. Possibly. It would have been like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. That would have added something. Or or chicken. I'm also intrigued by the idea that the artist originally intended for this only to last uh, 10 years or so, 10, 12 years, something like that. and here it is, what is it, more than 30 years later? And uh, we're fighting to sort of keep it, keep it uh, relevant and, and keep it to allow it to survive. Stargazer has been in its current location on the side of County Road 111 in Eastport since 1991. And it is located on a part of a sod farm that is owned by an estate trust. The leader of that trust, Harvey Pollock. Uh, welcomed Linda Scott and Mr. Morris to play Stargazer there and has been a host ever since. And that property is preserved now, correct? It's in the Pine Barrens. It can't be developed, so it is an agricultural use. However, I think what could still happen is that estate trust could sell it to another sod farmer or some other agricultural use. And that new owner might say, well, why do I have a giant deer sculpture head on my property when I could be growing grass there? So in part of this latest restoration effort, David Morris says, I want a long-term contract that says that Stargazer is going to stay here because what we don't want to do is spend $100,000 fixing it up, thinking that we've just saved it for 10 or 20 years and then having it get removed two years later. And it's not easy to move. What you see is only part of it. It's a steel frame that has a wood frame built over it. And then there is the plywood face. Underground, there is a mushroom footing that is six and a half feet deep. So when Stargazer was originally put in place, it took a 150 ton crane to put it there. So moving it would not be easy. Because I was I was wondering if there was a way to to make everybody happy and maybe find it a, a new home, um, you know, someplace where it, it could have some permanence and not, and you know, they wouldn't have to worry about, about the lease, but it sounds like that would be prohibitive. There was also, I guess, talk of perhaps trying to construct it from steel, which would be the logical material, but um, that they had spoken with the sculptor from Sagaponic who said that it would cost probably a couple hundred thousand dollars to pr- produce that in, a steel or something that would make it a much longer lived sculpture, right? Well, it seems to me that it would make more sense to just spend double the money now than to spend $100,000 every few years to fix up what exists. Right. I also have to believe, even though it would be a lot, lot heavier using steel, that if they ever did need to move it, it would be a lot easier to pick up um, a piece of welded steel as heavy as it might be, rather than try to move a sculpture that is composed of stucco, plywood, steel, wood um, to move. I wonder if there's some option available uh, for, I mean, it's a piece of public art and I wonder if there's some way of, of naming it uh, a cultural resource that would maybe make it, make it available for uh, some kinds of grants or things. I mean, you have to figure that, that this is why 
you have those kinds of programs to offer grants because there is public art out there that isn't technically owned by anybody, but we all enjoy it. And there's, there's, a, there's a public benefit to saving it. And it seems kind of unfair to expect Mr. Morris to have to raise $100,000 to keep it going. And, and it's also a little unfair to, to hope that we can come up with a fundraising effort to, to raise six figures to, to try and keep something, keep something there that, that's appreciated by everybody, visitors and residents alike. Well, I think that there's two problems. One is that A, it sits on private property. I doubt that anybody's gonna wanna be able to give public money to something that's not on public property. Well, maybe CPF could come in and buy the little square of property that it's on, and then that would solve that problem. But it's in the wrong town. <laughs> yeah, there's a small problem. It's in Brookhaven town. <laughs> oh, well, there goes yeah, that's not happening. Maybe the county buys. Isn't the county like bankrupt? I mean, that's another thing. Like we're dealing with COVID right now. I, I yeah. think the idea of like, well, let's not buy PPE and let's fix up this sculpture instead isn't probably going to go very far. But that's just you know, timing may be an issue. You know, I have to say too. Uh, I'm I'm being glib, but I kind of like it the way it is because the post-apocalyptic landscape uh, feels appropriate for 2020. Uh, it really does. You know, at some point we can fix it up, but maybe we should wait until 2020 is in the rearview mirror before we actually tackle that. I think we need to go out there with a ladder and a giant mask and strap a mask onto that deer's face. I would be all for that. Well, I like your idea of giving it the Rudolph nose. That would be very festive, wouldn't it? In, at Christmas time, it would be a nice uh, addition to it, at least. But you'd have to pull the mask up over the nose in order to be appropriately covered. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Quartararo. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com I'm surprised that, that that somebody hasn't stepped forward, someone with deep pockets who lives out here that might have some affection for that sculpture. I'm surprised that in the 20 years that we've seen issues with its maintenance and upkeep, that somebody hasn't stepped forward and, and offered to keep it intact. Well, maybe somebody will hear our podcast and just cut a big check for it next week. They could also cut that check to the Express News Group, 135 Windmill Lane. We'll tell you how to spell our names. <laughs> if you love art, you'll love newspapers. It's a great debate, though, about is this important? Is it valuable? I mean, should we just let it run its course like it was supposed to do after 10 to 12 years? Or is this something that really needs a rally to, to save it? I think Brendan's got a good point. Like, why not just put enough money into it so it doesn't have to be a worry in another 10 or 15 years when it starts deteriorating. I mean, I kind of picture it just like it's a hollow box. That's kind of what it is, right? And that's why the they said the squirrels or the woodpeckers were able to peck through the top of it, which is how water started getting in. And then it started rotting from the inside, the plywood. It just seems like, yeah, you know what? Steel is pretty permanent. And you probably don't need a big giant mushroom concrete ball on the bottom to hold it down. You know, I feel like the giant mushroom-shaped anchor that might have saved it in some of these windstorms, and it's actually always been a little surprising to me that it's in those storms that it was never in danger of blowing over. Now I understand why. I didn't know uh, that it had this 
incredible uh, substructure that was keeping it in place. But that also explains it's obviously taking just a brutal beating in the in the winds, uh, especially when you get storm winds. And the way it's designed, it's not going to survive a whole lot of those in the future, I would think. It doesn't give it all. It's just like this rigid thing that just sort of gets spattered. Maybe they should make it out of like mesh or something. Mesh would be an idea, actually. You You could make it a structure that's that's designed to, to let the, you know, not be so buffeted by the winds. Um, it would be kind of interesting, I think. And I think Michelle Troring, who, by the way, would, would be joining us to have this conversation, but uh, she had a medical situation that uh, kept her from being on the podcast this week. So we wish her the best and hope she's feeling better. But she made the point that it really needs to be practically rebuilt from the ground up. It's going to be something more than just a maintenance work. $100,000 is the estimate to, to basically rebuild the entire sculpture. So maybe maybe what should, should happen is a reconsideration of the sculpture and a new, you know, stargazer phase two kind of thing. And maybe it could look a little more sleek and be a little more designed to to deal with the, the winds. I love the idea of mesh panels instead. There's actually an interesting historic precedent for why this might be a good idea. And it's the old Whalers Church in Sac Harbor, which had a 180 foot steeple on it when it was built in 1844. That steeple was so huge, people could allegedly see it from ships coming into harbor. And it had louvers in it like a shutter. So when the wind would go through it, it would go out those holes in the, in the shutters. But apparently the ministers didn't like the fact that the thing would make so much noise when the wind held through it during their sermons that they covered up all of the holes in the steeple. And when that 1938 hurricane came by, they said it was like a missile. It was like a solid structure with no way for the air to get out. And it lifted off like a missile and crashed into the old burying ground next door. But basically closing up the, the holes that allowed the air to pass through were actually the demise of the steeple, which I think is kind of interesting. You could combine art and engineering right. in the new, in the new uh, Stargazer, uh, Stargazer Mark II. Yeah. We could we could try it that way. But uh, but as you said, I I think it's it's a fair point that now is a tough time to ask people to rally to the cause of of uh, repairing a piece of public art on private property. By the way, yeah, I have a feeling somebody's going to need to step forward with some generous generous help in this regard. So what year did um, Linda Scott die? Linda Scott died in July 2015 at the age of 77 after battling cancer for a while. When it happened, her death was intentionally kept quiet because they wanted to have time to secure her artworks that were out and about and make sure that they brought those back into the family's possession uh, before other people might run and grab them. Linda Scott also designed silver jewelry that were basically wearable designs based on her monumental sculptures. So she had like a ring that was in the shape of the woman's head stargazer. And she had miniature deer sculptures. She had a necklace version of her large cross with the ribbon on it. And one fascinating thing that I found uh, while reporting the story in 2016 is in Remsenburg, at the home of Marsha Kenny, who had worked with Linda Scott, is the maquette of Stargazer. And that is a little metal Stargazer deer. It's only about two feet high, uh, but it's made out of the materials that you would think that you would make the large one out of if you want the large one to last for half a century. That's kind of ironic, isn't it? So maybe what they should do to raise money, they can like 
put up a little gift gift store out front like they do at the bib dunk and they can sell little maquettes and they can sell the earrings and the necklaces in um in, in front of the destroyed stargazer and maybe they can raise enough money in order to pay for it what concerns me is uh, something's got to be done you probably can't leave it the way it is and i think it would be a real shame to lose that as a piece of public art and as an iconic symbol for the region so i realize we have other priorities right now and and it's a it's a tough time for a situation to arise like this but it feels like an important question for the community to ask about what is its future and and what needs to happen to to either save it or call it a day and and say that its time has passed personally i hope there's a way to make it work because I think it is just such a part of the landscape and these things matter. These are small things that matter. And, you know, when, when you come right down to it, a hundred thousand dollars for a work that's lasted 30 years and just become part of the identity of the region feels like something that's worth doing, worth raising. It just wouldn't be as much fun driving out here on the LIE without it. I was going to say maybe what we need to do, is to have the Hampton Jitney and the luxury liner have a $1 service charge on top of every trip that would go to fund. Actually, you could probably do 50 cents and raise $100,000 in a summer, right? Make it, uh, you know, it's part of the trip. Part of the trip is you get to see the, uh, get to see Stargazer. So, so help us keep it, you know? Yeah. I think you need to join that committee, Joe. I could start that committee. I'm spending uh, the Hampton Jitney and the luxury liners money here. So I'm sure they'll be thrilled about that. Well, they have, they have supported um, Stargazer though. I mean, they sponsor Linda Scott's website and they've had the buses with the big Stargazer murals on it. So they have an attraction to it to, to begin with. So we're not, you're not out of the blue, Joe. Just South of the Stargazer sculpture on the other side of 111 is the ranches at Eastport, and they actually have a street there named Stargazer Drive. So if you take that sculpture down, what happens to Stargazer Drive? Now it's just a nonsense street. Well, if you take Stargazer down, how, how, how are people going to know when they're home? I have to say, too, my reaction to seeing it was, this has got to be a pretty cool community that has something like this just out in the field. It projected an image for the region that was just instant. I really thought that was a cool thing. I didn't know about it before I saw it. When I did see it, it was startling to me. And it sends a, it sends a message about what we care about out here. So uh, there's reasons to talk about saving it, no question. And being able to continue to see the stars. A whole separate podcast. This is what I take away from this conversation. I just, I just need to understand, what, when has anyone ever seen a deer with an antler in its mouth? It's art. You're not supposed to ask questions. I guess. Maybe the deer defeated the other deer in battle and it's a touchdown dance. Or maybe like the deer is using the antler as a worship object to look skyward to mother creator. Oh, I like that one best. That's pretty good, actually. A lot of female energy in there. We'll have to get a naturalist on the podcast to explain to us if deer ever pick up other deer's antlers. Of course, if it's a chicken, what's it doing? There's a bigger question here, which is, do deer look at the stars? That's kind of a philosophical question. 
It's funny how many articles about the Hamptons have Stargazer as their lead image, as if the Stargazer is in the Hamptons. Like, it's said to be Manorville because it's on 111, which starts in Manorville, but it's really in Eastport, but it's not in the Hamptons at all. I think because of where it's located, that's parents saying, we're there, when they're not really there. Just to let, you know, the kids have something to get excited about. That's the 20 more minute mark, I guess. Can you imagine the size of the ticks on that thing? (laughs) That's what somebody should do is go paint ticks on it. They usually go right, like, on the ears, behind the ears. Just paint ticks on it. And then you could get one of the local uh, pest control companies to pay for. That's a good idea. Oh, man, we are marketing geniuses here. We are. We are. (laughs) 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts. 